Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Right, we are continuing this uh, series. We started this last week. Um, if you missed that, you can get that on our YouTube channel. We looked at um, Jesus uh, meeting Nicodemus last week and how he established trust with Nicodemus. We talked about trust being the, one of the bridges over which the gospel flows really easily, <laughs> building trust between people. Today we're going to pick up a story in Luke's gospel in chapter 4. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus has returned to his hometown of Nazareth. He's uh, been ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's been going around declaring the kingdom. He's been preaching the good news that God is near. God wants to be reconciled with people, restore that relationship of love with people. He's been demonstrating the kingdom by praying for people, healing the sick. And now he returns to his hometown of Nazareth. And at this point, is a high point in his ministry. Luke says that everyone is praising him. Jesus is very popular at this point in the early part of his ministry. So he goes back to Nazareth where he grew up from a boy. Have you ever been back to a place where you were known as a, as a child or, or a young person? And they still see you as a child or a young person. They still kind of think of you in that, in that sort of age or stage. When I did an apprenticeship with an engineering firm, even though I graduated and took on a full-time job in engineering, they still saw me as an apprentice. And the only way to get past that was to leave. You had to leave the company that kind of had done your apprenticeship, go to another company where you were kind of a new person and you established yourself on a new footing. Uh, and then if you came back again, then you, you were seen as a different person. But, but often if people are familiar with you and you've sort of grown up in a place or you've been known at a certain stage of your life, then that can adjust the way people think about you. And you'll find that Jesus encounters this uh, as he goes back to Nazareth. Well, he goes there, he goes to the Sabbath. Uh, On the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue, sorry, as was his custom, Luke tells us. And uh, in the synagogue, you could have been passed a scroll to read, to stand up and read from, and he's passed the scroll of Isaiah. And he unrolls the scroll to a certain point and to find some specific words to read out on that particular morning. And we're going to pick up the account from uh, Luke chapter 4. It says this, this is what Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled. In your hearing. Let's pause there for a moment. Luke tells us this. He says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. How do you feel when you suddenly become conspicuous? I'm sorry, did a fantastic job doing that notice, but being up here, having the eyes of everyone fixed on you can be a really difficult thing. And most of us, we don't like being conspicuous, do we? We don't like being essentially the one in the limelight. We try and blend in. Yeah? You try and blend in with the wallpaper, you know, or blend in with the background, or blend in with the crowd, because you don't like to be conspicuous. 
The problem with following Jesus is no matter how hard you try and blend in, he will make you stand out. He will make you stand out. He's got a habit of making us conspicuous. Sometimes I think we'd like to be like this young boy when we're following Jesus. (laughs) Nothing to see here. Blending in with the background. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'd, I'd really like to stay kind of hidden, like in the background. But in reality, if we are following Jesus, or we're going to choose to follow Jesus, we will stand out. We will become conspicuous. The eyes of people will be upon us, whether we like it or not. Let's continue with what Luke says. It says, All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So Jesus is still receiving public adoration and praise. The crowd was still marveling at him the way he spoke. He spoke with grace and, and wisdom, and uh, they, were, they were marveling at just what was coming out of his mouth, the way he was saying it, the way he was putting it, the way he was creating insight for them about God. All spoke well of him. Anybody had that in their lives? All spoke well of you? Oh, got one person in the house who's... It's very rare, isn't it, for everyone to speak well of you. Normally, if that's happening, then something is wrong somewhere. (laughs) Something is wrong somewhere if everybody is speaking well of you. Is it the goal of the gospel that you become such a nice person in Jesus that everybody speaks well of you? Let's think about it for a moment, because the more you hang around Jesus, the more you allow him to change you and, and knock the corners off, the rough edges, and he, he makes you more like him, and he's a, a beautiful, loving person, an incarnation of God's love. So the more you get like Jesus, the, the nicer you get, the, the better you get, the more transformed you get. So people are just going to like you more and more. You're not convinced, are you? You're not convinced in my argument. Will we get more popular as we become more like Jesus? Just reflect on that for a moment. Because the tide's about to turn in this particular story. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask? Mm. Now, this goes two ways in this story. Because the first thing is, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't it incredible how far he's come? I mean, look at him now. He's the son of a carpenter. Now he's, he's preaching and teaching in the synagogue. He's got this ministry. He's speaking with wisdom and grace. Isn't it incredible how far Joseph's son has come? They've known him since he was a boy. They've seen him grow up into adulthood. Isn't it incredible how far he's come? He's famous. But there's a recipe here for trouble. There's an expectation growing in the hometown of Nazareth that their homeboy, Jesus, should perform specially for them. He's come home. He's their homeboy. He should be the one who basically gives them now the preferential treatment. They should be the one who get the miracles. They should be the one who get the special teaching. They should be the one who get the healings. They should be the ones, because they raise this boy, they should be the ones who have the preferential treatment from Jesus. He owes them something Special. And Jesus detects this underlying agenda and tone happening in the synagogue that morning. And he says this to them Surely you will quote this proverb to me Physician, heal yourself. 
and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus is heading off their growing expectations that he should become like some sort of performing, traveling minstrel to do everything in Nazareth. He's aware also that familiarity does breed contempt. They think they know Jesus because they've seen him grow since he was a boy. But he hasn't returned to Nazareth the same person that when he went. He's coming back in the power of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of the kingdom. And pride can be one of those things that really blocks the work and insight of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus really goes to the heart of the issue. And he tells them of two times, two occurrences in the past when God chose to work outside of the religious expectation, outside of the establishment, God chose to work on the margins. He says this to them. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three years, sorry, for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus reminds them there were two occurrences, two people that God chose to go to rather than go to the chosen nation of Israel. The widow and Naaman, who actually was an enemy of Israel, a commander of an opposing army. They both saw God move miraculously in their lives. The widow received this miraculous provision uh, from Elijah to keep her alive during the famine. You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 17. And Naaman, the, the, the Syrian commander of the army, was a healed of leprosy uh, because he chose to obey the instruction and go and bathe in the river. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 5. All these people in the religious center, all these people in the religious establishment, yet God chose to go outside to the margins to demonstrate his power and his miracle uh, provision. Why? Because the religious center was stubborn and had pride and had expectation that that's where God should only move. And because of their hard hearts and their pride and their stubbornness, it prevented the move of God in their midst. Now you can imagine the penny dropping for the listeners that morning in the synagogue. Ah. Oh. Suddenly, all these people that were marveling at the words of Jesus were now furious with him. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. All the people, all the people. Have you noticed how quickly opinion can change? How someone can go from hero to zero incredibly quickly. We see it all the time in our current culture. All the people became furious at Jesus. The same all the people that were marveling at him now have rallied completely against him. The human spirit is very, very fickle with its affection. Love can turn to hate so quickly. Opinions can change in a moment. And for Jesus, the, the amazement had turned to anger that morning. The light in him had clashed with the darkness in them. And they now were furious. In fact, they were 
murderous. That's how angry they became. Luke says this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. Wow. Talk about a change in public opinion. In a matter of moments, the homeboy, the one who'd been welcomed, received, you know, this is our guy, come good. Now on the edge of a cliff, about to be thrown off by a murderous mob. Jesus had become so offensive to them that their anger was about to turn to murder. Then something extraordinary happens. Luke tells us this. He says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. We don't know how Jesus did that. We don't know whether he just faced them up and just decided to walk through. We don't know whether God did something miraculous in that crowd that day. But we do know Jesus just went on his way. What can we learn from this story this morning, this interaction with Jesus and this crowd of people? Jesus is rejected in his hometown, the very place where he grew up, but he walks away from the hate and continues on his way. So let's talk about rejection this morning. Rejection. We're all wired to love, and we're all wired to be loved. And so when we experience rejection, it hurts. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we feel we're sensitive to it or not, we, when we experience kind of any form of rejection, it hurts. And we live in a culture whereby we're, the, the ways we can be rejected are now magnified by social media, by the internet, by the proliferation of information really quickly. We can be rejected very quickly by a large number of people. We can be judged very quickly. I said earlier on, if, if hanging around Jesus makes us into nicer people, does that mean that's going to limit the amount of times we face rejection? Because people are going to like us more. We'll get more and more popular. The more and more popular we get, the less likely we are people are going to reject us. Right or wrong? Unfortunately, wrong. <laughs> the writer and researcher Brené Brown says this. She says, if we show up, we will experience rejection at some point. Literally by being present, by being alive, by choosing to give an opinion, by choosing to stand for something, by choosing to stand up for something, if you show up in life, you risk rejection. You risk someone judging you. And in fact, it's almost guaranteed you will experience some form of rejection at some point. Just the act of being present puts you at risk of being rejected. You have an idea, you have a creative moment, you have an opinion. All those things, just by showing up, you're risking rejection. I had a pastor friend years ago from Rwanda, and he told me an African proverb. He said this, He who fetches the pot, the water, is most likely to break the pot. He who fetches the water is most likely to break the pot. What did he mean by that? Just in the act of trying to do something, even something that's helpful, altruistic, serving others, even by choosing to do that, by showing up, 
to offer to go and fetch the water from the well, you're at risk of breaking the pot. So what's the best thing to do? Not fetch the water. Because if you don't fetch the water, you're not at risk of breaking the pot. But again, just by the implication, just by showing up and offering to do something, to be something, to try and help or serve, you're at risk of basically encountering damage or criticism or rejection. Now, this is just humanly speaking. Okay, Let's add Jesus into the mix. Because, as I put on the screen there, the Bible describes Jesus as the, the stone the builders rejected. So often in the scriptures, in the Gospels, Jesus either describes himself or alludes to the fact that he is like a stone that the builders have gone, nah, we're not using that one. But actually, that stone has become the cornerstone of the building, the very important stone that holds the whole thing together. So if you're following Jesus, you're following somebody whose MO is to be rejected. Okay? You're choosing to follow somebody whose MO was, I am the stone the builders have rejected. So does following Jesus make you more likely to be rejected or less likely to be rejected? More, potentially, because you're following someone, you're following it in the footsteps of somebody, you're following in the shoes of somebody who in their own life was highly familiar with rejection. Rejection from individuals, rejections from the masses, rejections from the establishment. But knowing we potentially face rejection doesn't make rejection any easier. Who likes a bit of rejection in the morning? Nobody. Nobody likes to feel rejected. No one likes to feel that pain of rejection. But if we're going to show up in this life, then the first thing we have to do is expect it. Expect to be rejected. No matter how nice you are, how popular you are, how beautiful your Instagram feed looks, you will at some point experience rejection. Because you cannot please all of the people all the time, can you? Jesus couldn't, so you can't, okay? <laughs> Jesus couldn't pull it off when he walked on the earth, and if he couldn't pull it off, I'm pretty sure I can't pull it off. You know, he couldn't please all the people all the time. Just his presence often divided opinion and caused certain people to either accept him and other people to reject him. When we are rejected, we're tempted to do certain things. We're tempted to try and do a number of things. I mean, we can go back to trying to be like him, can't we? You know, if the thought of being rejected for you is just too great, well, let's just blend in. Let's just hide. Let's just fade into the background. And then let's not give an opinion. Let's not stand for anything. Let's just, let's just blend in. And hopefully no one will notice us and no one has the opportunity to reject us. But Jesus said to you and to me, you're to be salt and light, didn't he? Salt and light. Two things that when they're present have a definite changing impact on their environment. Salt very clearly present in food, easily tasteable, 
light makes a difference in a room, dispels the darkness. So he said to you and me, you are supposed to be things that change the environment you're in. So this really, for us, is not an option. If we're going to follow Jesus, we can't just blend in with the furniture. We can't make ourselves invisible. So if we've got to show up, then perhaps we should armor up. Yeah? Let's make ourselves resilient. Let's make ourselves impervious to rejection. You know, I don't care what you think about me. I'm armored up. Yeah? Top to bottom, impervious to your opinions, impervious to your feelings. I couldn't care less what you think about me. I'm going to say it, and I'm armored up, and it's just going to bounce off whatever you think about me. Is this an option for us? Well, I think some people choose to armor up. I think some people choose to go through life this way. They use all forms of defense mechanisms to try and ensure that people's opinion uh, doesn't land. They don't feel the pain uh, of rejection. The problem with this is, well, it's, it's highly inconvenient, first of all. But, <laughs> but secondly, yes, you could say I'm protecting my heart against the pain of rejection, but you're putting a barrier between you and the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked last week, didn't we, about um, trust and vulnerability and how God works within those channels and those environments. And if you do this to yourself, you're really inhibiting the ability to build trust or vulnerability with anybody. Uh, In his book, uh, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. He says, there's no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark, emotionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. So if we choose to encase ourselves in armor, then the risk is we cut ourselves off from that beauty of vulnerability, trust and empathy and love flowing between you and other people. So whatever we must do, we must try not to armor up against the pain of rejection. Because if you protect yourself in this way, if you just choose to stop caring, stop trusting, stop loving, then you're letting the fear of rejection isolate you from communion with God and with other people. And your heart is becoming hardened, as C.S. Lewis says, in that, in that space, in, inside that armoured box, your heart is changing. Yes, you won't experience the pain of rejection, but your heart will grow cold, and your ability to feel love and empathy will change. And this is not the Jesus way, is it? This is not the Jesus way. We all feel rejection differently. We all process it differently. You might be a person who, when you experience rejection, you automatically assume there's something wrong with you. 
So you start to post-mortem yourself. You start thinking, well, there must be something wrong with me. I've done something to make this person or these people act this way. So I'm going to kind of go inside and try and figure out why I've got this deficiency or something wrong with me, and I'm going to try and fix it. You post-mortem the situation, you post-mortem your rejection, and you go over it and over it and over it and over again. You're looking for that, that fault within yourself. Now, that might be the way some of you feel this morning when you experience rejection. I'm not looking for a show of hands. You might be somebody who automatically assumes the other person is wrong. <laughs> you were right. The other person is clearly wrong about what they feel about you, what they've said about you, how, how, why they've chosen to react to you. They're incompetent. You're competent. Their judgments don't count. So you automatically assume they're wrong and you're right. And that's the way you process rejection. Well, you might be somebody who just sucks it up and pretends it, it, you don't care about it. You have an armoured up, but you decide not to care. You kind of suck it up and pretend and just move on. And just um, Christians are great at this, by the way. They just suck it up and move on. But really, it's landed. It's landed inside, and it hurts. Uh, and whether they choose to talk about it or, or show it, it's actually in there, and it hurts. Perhaps you have armoured up. Perhaps you've chosen to try and make yourself immune to people's opinions. Perhaps you've been hurt in the past and you don't want to be hurt again. So you've armoured up to make sure no one can have that way in. We talked about those trust relationships, didn't we? Getting close to you last week in terms of spatial connection to you. And you've put many layers of armour up to make sure no one really gets in anymore. They might be close to you geographically or within family or but they can't get into the real you because you don't want to feel the pain of rejection anymore. None of these ways of dealing with rejection is healthy for your soul. Post-morteming yourself, choosing to basically you know, disparage the opinion of somebody else, armoring up, none of these ways are healthy for your soul. Jesus knew that you and I would experience rejection upon the earth. He said this, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. So Jesus knew that you and I would experience rejection, particularly as followers of Jesus, we'd experience rejection. But he says a strange thing. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people reject you, when they hate you, when they exclude you. So there is... A blessing to be found here in the midst of the pain. What might this look like? What might it look like to think about how there's a blessing present in something that can really hurt so much? I like to think of the blessing Jesus talking about as the fact he's present in the midst of our rejection. He's present in the midst of our pain. So when people hate you or exclude you or judge you unfairly or reject you, Jesus is right there with you in that moment. Right there with you in the moment to stop you hating on yourself, to stop you hating another person, to stop you armoring up. He's right there with you in the moment to process the pain of that rejection. This is the blessing that Jesus talked about. He's right there with us to help us in the moments in life when we need him the most, when we experience the pain of rejection. Rather than defaulting to, you know, I'm wrong, they're wrong, I don't care, 
which are all poor ways to respond to rejection, we can say to Jesus, help. Help me deal with this situation. He can help you in a number of ways. He can help with the healing from the pain. Rejection hurts, whether you've chosen to acknowledge it or not. It does land, it does hurt. And so we need to ask Jesus to help us to heal from the pain of rejection. We need Jesus to help us forgive the person who's rejected us. Because we don't want to have harbour resentment and bitterness towards that person or those people. Not based upon whether who was right and who was wrong, but you choosing in grace to let that person off the hook. That's part of the blessing available to you. Jesus can help you release forgiveness. Jesus can give you perspective on the situation. Jesus can show you a different way of viewing what's gone on. You might have a certain perspective, but there's a perspective God wants to give you about that situation, why that situation happened, why people reacted that way. That can help us, stop us forming false judgments and false beliefs and things starting to get control of our lives. You might think someone's done something deliberately to hurt you, but you've got the wrong end of the stick. That's not what really happened at all. And God may want to show you a different perspective, actually, what's the reality of this situation. The devil loves to take that stick and jam it in the crack of expectation and really widen that gap. You know, that person didn't speak to me this morning in the corridor. They must hate me. All been there, haven't we? Or they, they, they looked at me funny. <laughs> you know, and the devil gets a stick in that gap and starts to widen it. And like, yes, that's true. They, you know, in fact, they've never loved you, never really liked you. They've always hated you. That's probably talking behind your back and widening that gap and making you feel more and more rejected and more and more pain. Ask Jesus' perspective. What's really going on? And lastly, what can you learn from what happened? How can you grow? How can you learn from the situation, what happened with you? Following Jesus means we're all lifelong learners, doesn't it? We're all growing with Jesus. So how can you do relationships better in the future? How can you process pain better? Is there anything you can learn for the future? All these things are better ways to deal with the pain of rejection. And doing these things helps your heart remain tender, not become cold-hearted and not caring, keeping your heart soft and tender towards other people. And it can help you and me becoming a dweller in the land of rejection. You don't want to pitch your tent in rejection. So if you pitch your tent in rejection, you'll view everything through that lens. Everything will be coloured by that. You'll, you'll see rejection everywhere because you've chosen to, to pitch your tent in that pain. And if you've ever met someone like that, it can be really hard to connect with them because all you're receiving is the pain. They're living in that, in that place of rejection. So... We don't want to be people who, who camp there. We want to be people who are moving forward with Jesus. Which takes me to our last point, which we see in, in the story. Keep going the Jesus way. When Jesus experienced the mass, he's rejecting him in his hometown. He could have reacted against them. He could have, you know, how dare you? You know, how dare you judge me? How dare you? You know, but he didn't. He just walked through the crowd and kept going on his way. He didn't react in the same spirit of those who were rejecting him. He walked through the crowd and went on his way. He didn't engage with the judgments. He didn't connect with that spirit of rejection. He continued to be led by the spirit, 
the way that he was supposed to go. He didn't get bent out of shape by what people thought about him. And I think this, these words, his way, is the key for us here this morning. How can you continue to walk Jesus' way when you experience the pain of rejection? There's many different ways you can live your life. You can live your life based upon people's opinion, what they think about you. You can arm yourself up so you just don't care what people think about you. Or you can go Jesus' way. You can find a way through the crowd, through the fickle crowd that we all live in, and continue Jesus' way. Jesus had every reason to be angry at that crowd that morning. They were trying to kill him. But he just chose to go on his way. Luke doesn't record his emotions. We don't know how he felt that morning. We don't know what's going on in his heart. He's human. He must have been feeling all sorts of things. But he chose to go on his way, not be pulled off course. So you and I will experience the pain of rejection in our lives. We experience it in small ways and in bigger ways all the time. Even more so if you and I are going to follow Jesus. We will experience rejection simply because we are, the light in us conflicts with the darkness sometimes of the people. But he's enabled you and me to overcome rejection. He doesn't take it away, but he has enabled us to become overcomers in it. You don't do it through self-doubt. You don't do it through demeaning other people. And you don't do it through indifference. You do it through the Jesus way. And that's what we want to learn from Jesus this morning. Is there a way for me through this, if I follow you, if I, if I discover the blessing of your presence in it for me? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.